Welcome, Zomboys and Ghouls, to Mars Messina Presents. I am Mars, and today is Saturday, October 16th, 2021. Here's another segment of Pleasant Screams for the month of October. I am especially excited for episode 28 because I am hosting my first guest. A Tale at Midnight, Sinister Stories for the Witching Hour is a podcast that you can find on YouTube. A Tale at Midnight showcases the work of a power trio of artists. Dan Precision, a musician and a soundsmith and an editor, his work is juxtaposed to the imaginative fantasy paintings of Eugene Yavorsky. These artists provide a backdrop and help flesh out the moodscape created by the siren tones of the narrator of the eponymous tales. The storyteller is a disembodied voice known as Alicia, the dweller in the clock. The clock serving as Alicia's host, the storyteller is forever summoned to bewitch us with sinister stories by the chimes of midnight. Alicia now haunts the inner sanctum of Mars Messina Presents, and for that, I am grateful. Greetings, Alicia. Greetings, Mars. How are you this morning? All right. Well, thank you for joining me on my humble show. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So um, would you do us the honor of reading an excerpt from one of your stories? Absolutely. You want me to start with that? Yeah. Why don't you like, um, how about that, that William Hope Hodgson story you told me about? Absolutely. It's actually not a story. It's actually a poem. Um, I just chose two things that I haven't featured either of these artists yet on A Tale at Midnight. This is a poem from William Hope Hodgson, and he was an Englishman who actually ran away to sea at a very young age. Um, he was, I forget, 12 or something like that. A lot of his stories center around sea voyages and kind of mysterious supernatural happenings. Mm. Um, and this one just, I thought, is very beautiful. It's very gothy um, and has a really interesting feel to it. So it's a uh, poem called Gray Seas Are Dreaming of My Death. Gray seas are dreaming of my death. I know gray seas are dreaming of my death. Out on gray plains where foam is lost in sleep, where one damp wind wails on continually and no life lives in the forgotten air. And change the mood and ha, the fierce winds howl and the unforgotten hissing of the foam pours out of heaven's bowl. And oh, my home lifts up its voice in one tremendous chaunt. Greeting, oh greeting, ye souls of dust in weary lands shall never know that greeting. Death's purple shadow tinges all the gray and we of those gray waters know it well. We know that he is come and not in vain one must go hence, passing in his pain. Ay, yoy, but oh, the mood doth change. The sea doth lift me high on living mountains as a mother guards her babe. So the fierce hills round me range and a voice goes on and on in mighty laughter. 
the joyous call of strength which doth then guard me. I, yoy, all the splendor of the sea doth guard me from the slaughter. O men in weary lands, lift up your hearts and hands and weep ye are not me, child of all the sea. Out upon the foam among the fountains and the glory and the magic of this water world where in childhood I was hurled. Weep, for I am dying in my glory. And the foam swings round and sings, and the Gracies chaunt, and the whitened hills are falling. And I am dying in my glory, dying, 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 dying. Ooh. Cure, cure, do your favorite Cure song right after that. So <laughs> uh, I, I think his writing is very powerful. It's very evocative and, and it shows a love and a fear, I think, of the sea, which unfortunately, mm-hmm. he, fortunately, unfortunately, he did not die on. He died in battle in uh, World War One. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. I, I was going to say, it sounds like a sea shanty. Absolutely. Yeah. And he has a lot of stories more that have to do with, you know, sea monsters and things like that. Um, he also wrote a very interesting novella called House on the Borderland, which is wackadoodle, but I highly recommend checking mm-hmm. it out. Maybe someday I'll carry, I'll um, cover it on A Tale at Midnight. But um, yeah, that's an example. I haven't done a poem yet on A Tale at Midnight, but that, that would be of, a good one. It would be a good one. And that sort of quality is what we're looking for. Absolutely. And like I said, that sounded like um, some of the old sea shanties, which of course are, are sung, and this mm-hmm. is a poem, mm-hmm. but um, what about William Hope Hodgson in, intrigues you? Uh, he was really, one of the things that you notice if you look him up, he's a very, very handsome man. He's very, he's not a very large a figure model. So this is like late 19th century, early 20th century. So. I think this is after he's been on the sea because he was not a very large person and because he was handsome, he constantly was picked on. In fact, a lot of his stories have to do with a younger sailor being beaten up by an older sailor. Mm. So he started working out with uh, bags and, and things like that. And I don't know, he probably didn't have formal weights but he was building his body and so that he could fight. When he left the sea, I think he was 22 he opens a bodybuilding school uh, mm. in, I think it was, I think it was Brighton, England. Don't quote me on that. And he is encouraging probably just men at that time in 1899 yeah. to come to work out. He trains the police force there. In fact, there's a point where Harry Houdini comes to the city and he's the one who puts the manacles on Harry Houdini because Harry Houdini being a famous magician known for being an escape artist he was not able to escape from William Hope Hodgson's manacles and he said oh he he put them on too tight and he hurt me and things like that so uh, I thought that was kind of but he had a really dynamic life Um, you know when that failed he he did other things was writing articles and then somehow got into what I would call now weird fiction or um, I don't know if you want to call it horror fiction or whatever. And yeah. And the fact that he joined the army for England, he's an Englishman and was wounded, was thrown from a horse and broke his jaw and they honorably discharged him. And he still went back and ended up Mm. in battle. So he was um, just had a really interesting dynamic life, but I, um, I discovered him through, you know, 
this this lovely book I have here called Adrift on the Haunted Seas, which of course has a quote from H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> because H.P. Lovecraft is such a huge, huge uh, person in weird fiction, it was like, what's this? This is interesting. And wow. he didn't read it till much later, later in life, but he is an author that has some really interesting interesting style and an interesting subject matter. I haven't found anyone else that's writing about traveling on the sea in wooden ships. Right, right. right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I'm going to be looking him up after our show today. Cool. Yeah, but let's, um, let's switch gears a little bit because I want to hear about you as a storyteller. So could you tell us about your storytelling and production process from the moment you choose a story right up through the moment that you publish a recording? Absolutely. So um, a lot of this work happens because of the help of um, the sound specifically because of the help of Dan. So he had introduced me to um, a program called Cubase. So what happens is all of the stories are, I will read them uh, into this program and so I'll usually do two to three takes on the story, uh, depending on how it goes. And then I do the editing, the initial editing between the takes. Sometimes it's really easy. Sometimes you're just simply trimming out uhs and ohs and breaths and, you know, the cat meowing in the background or something. <laughs> and sometimes it's a little more um, involved when you're reading a lot of these stories. And I tend to focus on a lot of fiction from the mid to late 19th century to, I would say, early 20th century. Right now, I've been mostly working with things that are in the public domain. I'm not opposed to covering newer stories, but I kind of don't want to trot on anybody's toes there. I hear you. Yeah. When you're reading something aloud, like Lovecraft, there are words that you never use in the English language. (laughs) Then you're like, what's that word? (laughs) Or you might have a story like... um, there's a story I called, I, I read called number 252 Rue Monsieur de la Prince uh, by Ralph Adams Cram, who actually was an architect, but wrote stories as a young man. That story has French because it takes place in France. Mm-hmm. It's also got some Spanish. It's got some German. Of course, you're gonna have to crank out some Latin. I don't speak these languages. Right. So and I- then you have to practice um, accents too. Well, luckily, for the most part, it's simply been a word here or there. And so Mm -hmm. I will look it up and try and find a native speaker saying the word and try to imitate it to the best of my ability. Mm. So that's part of the thing with the editing process is how we're how well that's what's going to usually trip me up is the foreign language or the difficulty of the sentence structure, if it's very long and draggy or just the words that are chosen. So then I will go through, edit the best takes together and then uh, compress that and send that off to Dan who will then kind of go through and try and clean up things like if there's any other little breaths or any things that need to be adjusted. Uh, I'm glad to say that he has said in the past year uh, that I've become better at it. So he has to clean up less. Oh, good, Um, good. And then he goes and creates original music Sometimes we do sound effects. It depends on the story and how spare we want it to be. I really enjoy his music. I've had some people state that they like it, they don't like it. I think that people who are perhaps hard of hearing have a harder time hearing my reading when there is music. 
So that's mm -hmm. something I'm like, oh, maybe we'll do some more that don't have the music, but I really enjoy it. And I think it enhances the story. I so absolutely, yeah. I was just Go gonna ahead. say, I absolutely agree. Um, there is something about the, there's a, like a trilogy here, the three of you that creates a mood and I happen to like his, his music and um, Eugene's art. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's, you know, the subject matter is grim, but this guy does not shy away from color. And I appreciate that. Like there's these vibrant blues and oranges mm -hmm. and yellows, mm -hmm. whereas you're expecting maybe black and red and not much else. Well, Eugene's work is very much influenced by sort of a lot of the artists from that worked on the original Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, uh -huh. a lot of amazing uh -huh. artists, um, people like Larry Elmore. And, and of course, yep. while he did not work for Dungeons and Dragons, you just look at someone like Frank Frazetta and his use of color and things. And it's, it's a very vibrant palette. And I think that for what we're doing, and obviously sometimes he's using things that are, he's simply drawing, he's doing a simple pencil yeah. sketch. And then it's sometimes being enhanced through Dan's visual effects because he does add visual effects to a greater or lesser degree with some stories. Sometimes we are having to simply rely on images that are in the public domain because, um, as I said, we all have jobs. Um, yeah. Eugene's also a working artist, so he does have things that he's getting paid for. <laughs> so <laughs> he can only you know, devote so much time. So then, yes, yeah. of course, that artwork is created. If it's a drawing, it, it might take a, a day or so. If it's a painting, it's going to take longer because he does work in oils. So that's a bit of a longer process. And then the images are photographed, sent off to Dan. Mm. Dan puts it all together. And then, you know, we make sure I really strive to listen to it before I send it to Dan. Once it's done, we listen to it again, straight through, you know, trying to clean up any mistakes that may have been made. And then of course we put it out. So in the beginning we were able to do to a month and that became much harder as the stories yeah. became longer and um, the world sort of got back to quote normal. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. That's what we've been doing. Yeah, a lot of these um, artistic ventures did happen over the pandemic. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, interesting, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Uh, so I can see how you would have more time then and less time now to do yes. this. So what do you say, you like release something once a month, once every two months? Usually it's been once a month. Now we did um, we did do a story in July. We did Shambler from the Stars. And then of course in August we did Haunter of the Dark. So it's mm. two stories that kind of are two parts in the sense that um, Robert Block, who was the author of Psycho, wrote the story. He was friends with H.P. Lovecraft when he was a teenager. They had a writer. Oh, hello, Alicia. I seem to have lost you. Hold on. Okay. I'm here. Good. Okay, continue. All right. So Shambler from the Stars and Haunter. Mm -mm -mm. Lovecraft to, uh, to Robert Block's story, Shambler from the Stars. So we did that. We did nothing for September. But coming up now for October, we are going to have uh, a release every week. Nice. We're doing one story, uh, which is Jay Sheridan Le Fanu's Carmilla. And Carmilla, if I was to read it from end to end, it would be probably two and a half hours. Oof. A lot to do is one 
episodes. So we said, hey, we'll do it over four episodes. It's a novella, 16 chapters. Every week will be four chapters. So it'll vary. Some are longer, some are shorter. And then there's an extra week that I think I may just read a Halloween poem or something, do something very, very short. Mm -hmm. So we did want to do something special to sort of acknowledge our one year anniversary. And of course, you know, Halloween and the season and everything. And then probably we won't do November and we'll do something for Christmas. It's amazing Ah, how many Christmassy ghost stories there are from Victorian times. So that's something I really enjoy covering. Mm, Yes. I'm looking forward. Yeah. So let's talk talk about storytelling. Now Mm -hmm. is storytelling your A, favorite hobby, B, your deepest passion, or C, what you'd like your full-time career to be? Ooh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'm not sure. I I would say probably closer to C. Yeah, it would be great if, you know, somebody wants to pay me to read stories. Yes, I would love to do that. I always enjoyed it. I'm, I don't know how good of a storyteller I am off the top of my head, but one of the ways that this sort of developed was Um, my husband and I actually started dating on Halloween. So Halloween Ah. is a very special holiday for us. One of the things we would love doing is as we're waiting for trick-or-treaters, obviously you'll have some scary movie on in the background, but we would sometimes read to each other. We would read these stories to each other. And he's like, you know, you should do something with this. So he pushed me a lot and said, you should try this. So we decided to give it a go. And in the beginning, I thought it was just going to be me reading stories. And then uh, Dan got really excited about being part of it. I thought he would help us here and there. And he's like, he's been amazing at helping with it. Hmm. So I think that enhances what we're doing, but it is, it's really pleasurable when you read something aloud, you get a very different appreciation than when you just read it on the page. Tell me this a lot, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, um, that's been interesting is sometimes I'm like, wow, I didn't realize how, how evocative that was. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's also, wow, that author uses a lot of sentences that are very, very long. That's a common thing with late, mid to late Victorian mm-hmm. sort of writers. They write very differently than we do. And it's like, when is this going to stop? <laughs> and how to, <laughs> how to breathe through out. it. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I, I would love to do this more, but right now it's kind of a, kind of a very fun hobby. Cool. Cool. So let's talk about some of your favorite books. First of all, maybe your favorite childhood book, and then maybe something you're enjoying now as an adult. Oof, that is a good question as a child, how old are you talking here? (laughs) Hey, whatever grabbed you, you know, like, you know, you could have been five years old and something could have really taken hold of you that you can't shake, or you could have been 10 years old where you're actually reading. So whatever, whatever jumps out at you. Well, I'll tell you something funny about me. I learned to read really early. My grandmother taught me and I was reading when I was four. So by the time I got to first grade, I remember they got frustrated with me because I went through all the books too fast. So I've been a pretty avid reader my whole life. I would say when I was a young girl, the things that actually influenced me most, the most were, of course, anything with horses. Oh, 
So things like Walter Farley's The Black Stallion series, things like any books by Marguerite Henry, like, you know, Misty of of Shinkotigue. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, Black Gold, King of the Wind. I adored those books. Mm. And obviously I didn't discover things like, you know, weird fiction to much later in life. What I'm reading right now, um, I'm always reading uh, things to think about what I'm going to possibly cover for the stories. Sure. I would say the last thing I've been reading, actually, I'm going to mention something that I just finished and it is somebody I haven't covered, but I'd like to, and it's an author named Stefan Grabinski, who was a Polish author writing in the early 20th century, who basically was writing weird fiction in his own way. Mm-hmm. Um, had a very interesting parallel to Lovecraft in the fa- fact that he was not really popular in his own time, kind of died young, died in obscurity. But he has a really interesting take because I think anytime you read something that's from another culture that isn't your own, there's, um, there's things that you don't understand because you're not from there, right? Right. So it's kind of deciphering the hidden meanings, not just the style of how they're they're writing but also the what's going on what's happening in Poland at this time you know it's just before World War One what's going on they don't exist as a country you know is there like a nationalism that's being interjected in here or whatever so that was a really interesting read and I had to go through it I went through the book uh, it's a book called The Dark Domain uh, by Mm -hmm. Stefan Grabinski I cannot remember who the translator was right now because it's translated from Polish um, but that was the last thing that I really dove into and, uh, really enjoyed. So you really dive in. It's not just a compulsory read. You really like something grabs you when you might start researching it. Yes. And, and yeah. when I'm going to cover a story, cause like I said, that's been a big focus right now. Um, it has to really, I have to feel an affinity for it. Sometimes someone says to me, oh, you should do this. Uh, I'll give you an example. Robert Howard, right? Really mm-hmm. amazing author of action stories, horrible racist. We're not going to get into that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that, that's a whole nother thing that happens with these people. Yeah. But um, his writing is very robust and it is very, I, I don't know if I have the hoots to cover it yet. And like I said, there is a whole nother issue when you're dealing with these authors because of their personal beliefs. And then there becomes a thing, do you you continue to support someone when you don't approve of what they've they've said or done in their personal life? I think there's a lot of that going on now. Oh, there's a lot and it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Very much so. Yeah, because you're like, oh, I used to really like so-and-so and and now I really shouldn't, but. Right. Robert Howard is someone that I don't know if I'll ever cover, even though I think he does some interesting, weird fiction. Um, I'm hmm. sorry, I forgot what your question was and I feel like I'm about to meander. That, I, I, that's okay, because it was more about research and how, uh, how deeply you dive in. Um, most of my research is simply done online, which take okay. it for what it is. In fact, there's a, one of the stories that we released, uh, The Nightwire, and I had gotten some information from a website and it was interesting because I had a, a reader, a subscriber on the YouTube channel that was like, hey, you know, 
they don't think that this is the right guy. Like this person happened one, this, this person, the, the story of the Night Rider was the only story I believe written by this author and they're trying to figure out who he is. And so I had gotten this information from a website and then it sort of seems like it was redacted. Like when I went wow. back to the site, it was redacted. So I probably should adjust that on, on my, um, on the YouTube channel, but um, it's hard. Like I don't go to a library and go and delve in that way. You know what I'm right. saying? I do give a little bit of information. If you look at every one of our stories on the YouTube channel, A Tale at Midnight, I do try and give you a little information about the author's name, their full name. They often use initials roughly when they lived. So you have a concept of when the story was written and maybe a little bit about them or about the particular story. Cause I think sometimes context is everything. Yes. Yes. You and know. that's appreciated by the listener. I would hope so. Cause I know I appreciate it. Cause sometimes you have something where you're, you're pleasingly shocked. I remember reading a particular story the first time I'm saying personally and being like, when was this written? Yeah. And this was written by a woman. And like, cause it was very, um, it's actually Chamblot by C.L. Moore. And I was yes. surprised by the sexuality in it. And the fact that it was written by a 21 year old woman in early 1930s. I'm like, when I read it as a teenager, I was like, oh, wow. So I think that's an interesting thing is understanding the context of when is the story from and uh, does it still work now in the present day? So. Gotcha. Okay, so out of all the fictional characters that you've, you know, met in, in your reading, who would you like to have a drink with and why? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say Randolph Carter, which is one of the creations of H.P. Lovecraft. He's okay. in a story called The Statement of Randolph Carter, which we covered. He's also in... Uh, oh gosh, The Silver Key. I think he's in Through the Gates of the Silver Key, which Lovecraft wrote with E. Hoffman Price. And of course he's with, he's in a Dream Quest of an Unknown Kadath, which is an insane fever dream of a story. It's actually a first draft if you read it, I believe. So there's mm -hmm. no chapters, it's completely crazy. But that character has a very unique life because while he starts as a mundane kind of, you know, uh, he's like an Igor to the character yeah. in, uh, in uh, Harley Warren in Randolph, Statement of Randolph Carter, which is said as our first episode. He then kind of goes on and has this very interesting life of his own where he has another life in his dreams. Mm. And I find that very fascinating because I, especially when I was younger, had very, very vivid dreams, still do yeah. sometimes. And I find that interesting, that concept of... Um, Lovecraft says something about why do we consider that the real world is more important than the dream world? And so I would love to talk to the character of Randolph Carter and sort of be like, what have you experienced? What have your dreams opened up for you beyond the mundane existence of day-to-day -day life? Hmm. So what, what do you think about that then, uh, the dream life? Do you think it's as important as so-called reality? For me personally, I would say yes, because what's interesting is that when you're a child, and like I said, I would have these very vivid dreams and they were kind of crazy or whatever. And you grow up, right? You finish school, 
and then you go out and you basically you find your career. And real life, let's be honest, is kind of crushing, right? Yeah, you, go, yeah. you go through and you, you do something for money to pay for the roof over your head, to pay for food, to pay for whatever other niceties you might like. And usually the thing that you do is not pleasurable to that extent. And I imagine that even if you are an, a working artist, let's say you're an actor, let's say you're a very successful actor and you still have to pay your bills. Your bills might be higher than mine, but sometimes you see an actor and you go, wow, why did they do that dumb movie? Because they got to pay their yeah. bills. So that spark that had them acting in front of their siblings as a child and maybe doing musical theater in high school and maybe doing whatever they did when they got through college and everything, you still have to um, have to have the reality of life. And the beautiful thing about dreams is, first of all, they're crazy. So you don't know what's <laughs> happen. And um, I, I don't particularly think that this is just me, that I can control them or anything like that. That's not what I'm speaking of. I just find them very enriching. And sometimes that kind of cleanses your palate and makes you feel better or worse. There's scary, mm -hmm. terrible dreams, right? You wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I feel terrible all day or something like that. But that's okay. It's what, a, what an interesting thing that happens and uh, can kind of color your, your day, you know, what, what happens in your dreams. So mm. true. And I, I, right now I'm just, you know, my mind kind of meandered a little bit because I was thinking about some of the dreams I've had. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and can you use them as, you know, obviously you being an author, can you use them as like fodder for absolutely? Even if it's not direct. Yes. Yes. So if you're like, oh, I had this dream and I was eating a sandwich and, and I had nothing on but my shoes or da, 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 whatever nonsense, whatever. Crazy. Yeah. But sometimes it can sort of galvanize you into action in some way, or sometimes it's just, it's just a dream and who knows. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a dream. Right. True. Now, um, going off that last question, what mm -hmm. real, real life person, not dream, not fictional and not family or friend, but what real life person would you like to have a drink with and why? Okay, so let me ask you this. Do you want me to stay into the realm of authors in weird fiction or does that Whatever. not matter? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. What, it, what, what is Alicia feeling here? Gosh, I don't, off the top of my head, I'm a little bit stumped because okay. until it's very hard when you have an image of what you think someone is right yeah like, oh I think that's a fascinating person and then you you know you might meet them and be like oh it's kind of like this yeah. <laughs> um so you know what I can I ponder that and perhaps answer Absolutely. that question a little bit because I don't have a good answer to that that's cool that's cool that's cool <laughs> Yeah, again, you know, sometimes dreams are more interesting than real life, you know. I find that, what do they always say? Don't meet your heroes, you know, because, uh -huh. because no matter how talented somebody is, we all have feet of clay. We all are human beings, yeah. we have good and bad things. So 
I, I, I need to ponder that a little moment. Yeah. Yeah. Put that, put that on the back, put that burner. back burner. Yeah. So, okay. Then I'm going to ask you this. What kind of catharsis do you achieve by doing a tale at midnight? I like sharing these stories with people. Now, mostly I think I'm guessing that the people that are finding it are already aware of these authors. What I find great is I've had with some of the stories, someone will comment and say, I never read this story before. I didn't know this author. And to me, because time marches on and there are many, many talented authors at this time in the realm of weird fiction and horror and things like that. And I think absolutely we should acknowledge them too. Mm -hmm. But what makes me sad is when things get forgotten. Yeah, everybody knows H.P. Lovecraft, everyone knows M.R. James, but then you talk about people who are lesser known and it's like, wow, they were really talented and they didn't get acknowledged because their style fell out of fashion. Maybe they were a woman, maybe they were this, <laughs> or what, what, for whatever reason. So, um, you know, Manly Wade Wellman is a really interesting example. I've covered two of his stories and he's an excellent author, but People do. Yeah. Yeah. More into this and say, oh, what else has this person written? Or what else exists in this uh, world of weird fiction? Mm -hmm. hmm. Do you believe in ghosts? I would like to. I have always thought that I did. And so unfortunately I have not had any experiences personally that I could quantify that way. I think that being interested in this subject matter in weird fiction, ghost stories, things like that, you're like, it's also that sense of life after life. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Even if, it's, even if it's a sense of so many times ghost stories are about someone being trapped, you know, something happened often it's a, perhaps a negative um, perhaps a difficult death or whatever that you're tied to a place. Um, so I would say, yes, I'd like, I, I would say I believe in ghosts, even though I've had zero, I, I, I would like to see if that ever comes to fruition. If I ever have an experience that goes, Oh, you know. And then from where you stand now, do you think those ghosts are the spirits, you know, who've left, a mortal body or is it some other type of phenomena? So here's something for me personally, when I've had occasions, I can think of like two different times where someone I know died. Um, in both times, it was unexpected. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were occasions where I thought I saw them out of the corner of my eye. Mm. So was that them, was that their spirit or was that simply me thinking about them and wishing I could see them again? Mm. I don't have an answer to that. Okay. Um, that was something that um, is super interesting that, that when someone passes, you know, there's still a great deal of love and affection for the person. And you're like, whether it's an, ex you know, an expected death and unexpected death, you kind of wish that that hadn't happened. And unfortunately that's part of our, <laughs> part yeah. of our existence. So um, I don't know what it is, honestly. Okay. You know, my, my mind likes to say 
I'm thinking about them. And that's why I thought that. Gotcha. But I can't prove that either way. Now in the same realm, you know, and we're talking about dreams and thinking about uh, loved ones, if you will, have mm-hmm. you ever had a dream or a premonition of someone else's death or even your own? Uh, yes. So while I haven't had it about myself, there, there's a weird thing that my mother would do. And I don't know if I do this also. So th- it's basically this. I'll wake up sometimes and I've had a dream about somebody. Now it's not necessarily about their death, but you wake up and you were dreaming about person X who you haven't thought about in a while. And sometimes suddenly that person will call you or you'll call them and they'll say, oh, I was thinking about you. Now, were they really, or did they just happen to say that? Sometimes it is a case where I recall there was a point, this is about my mother, where we were in Europe visiting family. And she said, oh, I was dreaming about Mrs. Martins, who was a neighbor of ours, who was elderly. And that's all she said. And when we got back, we found out that she had passed away. Now, Hmm. I don't know. I don't recall whether it was, oh, oh, that same day or the day before or whatever, you know, but it was, and I don't recall the woman being ill. She was just well in her late eighties or early nineties. So again, not unexpected. That kind of weird stuff has sometimes happened. I'll tell you, I'll tell you an interesting one. I remember that happened to me once. Well, although it's, again, it's one of those weird things where it's not direct. I was going to school downtown uh, and I had to take um, a bus and then the L and another bus usually to get to school. And I woke up with a very vivid dream that there was a train in the station, um, underground, you know, railway, underground subway. And another train came in and didn't stop and ran into the first one. And it was carnage and everything. And I was so freaked out. I refused to go to school that day. I was like, no, I'm not. Wow. Now that day there was an accident. It was not on the line that I would have been on. So in other words, it would not have affected me in the least. And thankfully it was minor. A train did kind of go in a little faster than Hmm. usual. It bumped a train in front of it. There were some minor bumps and scratches. No one was hurt. No, it was no, it was not, it was not the carnage of my dream. But I remember being like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, and like was, synchronicity. Yes. And I was maybe 19 or something. And I just remember. So I am very superstitious that way. In other words, okay. if I had a dream and, and it's very direct or something, I, I may I may avoid a situation <laughs> because okay. I'm like, mm, I don't know what's going on there, but let's not do it. So it's not that I've directly dreamed about so-and-so and they've died, but uh-huh. I do have dreams about people um, that sometimes involves them suddenly, you know, reaching out to me mm. or sometimes I've reached out to them. So you have to consider that too. It's a two-way street. So right. no, thankfully I have not, I have not dreamed about my own death. So <laughs> um, well, that, that's not a bad thing, <laughs> No, <laughs> but, but what does scare you? What scares you? Uh, the uncertainty of the world, the chaos of the world. Yeah. Um, it being right now, uh, September of 2021, obviously we just had the 20 year anniversary of 9-11 and I've been watching a fair amount of that. And one of the things that strikes me is you're talking about people going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Just like you do, I do. So 
I'm not saying it's fair or right, but when you're talking about I'm in the military, there's a huge risk, right? That is evolved with that. Perhaps I am a, um, a first responder or what, what there are certain careers, you know, I'm a firefighter. I'm a, a person who fights wildfires. There are certain risks that are involved. You sure. expect that. Of course, there's risks of everything, but you don't think about the fact that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm driving to, I go to work and, and this horrible thing happens. And even going back to something like the Oklahoma City bombing, I remember that because so often these things happen right in the beginning part of the day. Mm-hmm. You know me, anyone who knows me, I'm always late. If you tell mm-hmm. me to meet you somewhere, tell me a half hour before. Right. Right. Because I am <laughs> habitually terrible, running behind, just awful about that. And I sometimes think about that. The day when the Oklahoma City bombing happened, I was working in an office building, which was very similar to it. And of course I was late and I thought about that. I'm like, that's really mm. interesting. Like, um, I, I, obviously I'm not in any way saying that if you are earlier on time, this is not anything, this is horrible that these things happen, but it's, it's yeah. something that, um, that scares me is that whole sense of, chaos in the world and you're walking down the street and what happens you get random right so that to me is i'd say i think that's one of the reasons i love ghost stories weird fiction things like that because you know what a damn monster tentacle is not going to pull me through the window (laughs) and sometimes i think that's better than you know some other stupid random things happen it's it's almost like a sense of comfort yes extreme wow that's a crazy monster wow that's a ghost oh my god that's so scary i fell out the window whatever rather than the stupidity of i stepped off that curb and got someone shot me i got yeah. hit by a bus i fell down the stairs that's yeah. that's the yeah well i mean that's what psychologists say about you know if you like horror movies or ghost stories it's a very safe way to be playing with your shadow you know, it's, a, it's ah. safe and you're you're coming to terms with it. So it's mm-hmm. actually a pretty healthy thing, you know, to, to a, a certain extent. Yeah. Because so, I often find it interesting to people that really don't like it. Uh, it. My mother is like, why are you scared? Why are you telling these scary stories? Why don't you tell something pleasant? <laughs> and she doesn't understand that. And I was yeah. like, it's interesting how we kind of come at things in a completely different way. Absolutely. And it, yeah, it's actually to an extent, of course, it's healthy. So I guess it depends on what you're, what you're into. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I mean, like a good ghost story mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is, it's enjoyable. It's scary, but you make out, you make it out safe. Right. You know, you, you, you survived it, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what about your own self scares you? own self scares me I wish I was healthier Mm. I wish I worked out more and paid attention when I ate more I love to eat man Mm. all I ever talk about is what I like to (laughs) eat so (laughs) um, you know I I admire these folks who are like oh you know I I eat macrobiotic or I'm vegan or I'm this or I'm that and I'm really careful about you know sugars or anything I I've tried to be better as I'm getting older, but I wish I was better about my health. Mm. Wish I did more, do more cardio. 
(laughs) (laughs) And what stops you from Uh, laziness? Okay, it's pure Laziness. laziness. Yeah, yeah, laziness. It's much easier to you know I'm I'm gonna do what I'm used to doing. Right, habits are so hard to break. So yeah. you have a habit of like, well, what do you eat? What kind of foods do you eat? What kind of um, exercise do you do? And then to say, okay, I need to completely, maybe I need to start running or maybe I need to, like I said, go, go vegetarian or do this or that. Very, very hard, I think. Or you can change, but you often change back. Yeah. So, so it seems like the mundane is what scares you, whether it's <laughs> you might step off a curb and get hit by a bus or you might have a heart attack because you maybe. eat your burgers all the time or something. Maybe, maybe, maybe. That's yeah, it. interesting. Yeah. So um, what is something your listening audience might be surprised to find out about you? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think my listening audience probably I don't know what concept they have uh about me um let's see here well take it in context I mean they're they're listening to ghost stories I guess Mm -hmm. yeah so okay I'm gonna say it I'm gonna probably lose my street cred I don't (laughs) like slasher films I'm you not a big fan of slasher films. Okay. <laughs> I just want everyone's just, just left the chat. Um, I, I, I'm growing up with those films. I, I think my number one thing with them is I disliked how um, female characters were portrayed. I'm yeah. like, oh, oh, she's going to lose her top and then she gets killed. And, and then she's going to trip. The nice girl who didn't do anything, she's going to survive. That, that's, I think, one of my biggest issues. And mm-hmm. also, I'm not a big, um, I'm not a big fan of gore. And you'll mm-hmm. notice that in the stories that I choose, they can sometimes have some stuff. But the beauty of me speaking it or you reading it, you're going to put your own spin on it. So when mm-hmm. the author says the monster is X, Y, and Z, you're going to put your own spin on it. You're going to say, oh, my gosh, it's going to remind me of that horrible whatever haunts your dreams right Mm -hmm. when you watch a film and you're like oh they've just put a you know a knife through someone's throat or whatever like that it's it's very graphic it's very blatant I'm not hey if you like it more power to you but like yeah I am a big fan of atmosphere and I let my imagination Mm. work so a lot of times people say oh that is boring okay, well, you know what I mean? You, I, I remember having you an argument. Yeah, I remember having an argument with a friend once about this movie versus this movie. And it was the fact that she couldn't take the, the craziness. It was actually the, the um, Frank Darabont film, The Mist, which is based on a Stephen King story. Yeah. The, the special effects are a little iffy. Right, I I'll give you that. But if you look at the context of the story and how real people, how quickly they become monsters, uh, I, I spoilers here. So fast forward if you have to, if you haven't seen the mist or anything, you know the, the the people turn on somebody. Yeah, they kill another human being for no reason, other than thinking this, which is an interesting parallel to what happens now because I think it's what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah that kind of film to me is far more effective than horny teenagers getting killed by some random you know 
I don't want to even say serial killer or whatever, but right. that's, that's just my, that's just my thing. So cool. yes, yeah, sorry, listeners. I don't like slasher. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you lost street cred at all. No, I don't know. <laughs> Yours is your, your, you know, your choices are more, um, you know, I use the word with you, with your work, it's atmospheric. Yes. Yes. Very much so. I love these atmospheric stories. They mm-hmm. really, I enjoy them. Well, Alicia, we are coming to the end of our enchanted hour together. And I know you must return to the underworld to prepare (laughs) for midnight. Mm -hmm. Would you please do us another honor and read us one more story? Absolutely. I'm going to read an excerpt. And this is an author that is very important to me. This is the person who got me into weird fiction. It's an author named Tanith Lee. She was a British author. Unfortunately, she passed away just a couple of years ago with breast cancer. She is really unique um, and has a very interesting concept. She does a lot of, if you look her up, it's amazing how many things she wrote, how many awards she won, and yet she's really very little known. I would like to cover her work, but as she just passed away a little while ago, I don't know. Hmm. how her widower or company that owns (laughs) the rights would feel about it. But I'm going to read an excerpt now because I really encourage anyone to check her out. Um, Trigger warning. She does write quite a bit about um, rape in different contexts. I don't know why. Um, So it does come up in stories, not Mm -hmm. in this one, but if that's something that um, triggers you, please be aware of that as you're going through her books and, uh, pick and choose maybe. But this is a story from a collection called Dreams of Dark and Light by the great short fiction of Tanith Lee. This is a book that I found in my library when I was a teenager and this is what started me on my journey to weird fiction. And this is from a story called A Room with a V. So obviously V being the French word for life. Mm -hmm. In the womb, it was warm and dark a warm blood dark. Rhythms came and went, came and went, placid and unending as the tides of the sea. The heart organ pumped with a soft deep noise like a muffled drum. How comfortable and safe it was. But when am I to be born, Caroline wondered. Never, the womb told her, lapping her, cushioning her. Caroline kicked out. She floated. She tried to seize hold of something, but the blood-warm cocoon was not to be seized. Let me go, said Caroline. Auntie Sarah, I'm all right. Let me go. I want to, please. Her eyes were wide and she was sitting up in her holiday bed. She put out her hand spontaneously towards the light and touched the knife she had left beside it. The room breathed regularly, deeply. Caroline moved her hand away from the light switch and saw in the darkness. This is ridiculous, she said aloud. The room breathed. She glanced at the window. She had left the curtains drawn over and so could not focus on the esplanade beyond or the bay, the outer world. The walls throbbed. She could see them. She was being calm now and analytical, letting her eyes adjust, concentrating. The mammalian milky smell was heavy, not precisely offensive, but naturally rather horrible under these circumstances. All right, she said. All right, then. She turned the wall behind the bed. 
She reached across and laid her hand on it. The wall, the wall was skin. It was flesh, live, pulsing, hot, moist. It was. The wall swelled under her touch. It adhered to her hand eagerly. The whole room writhed a little, surging towards her. It wanted, she knew it wanted, to clutch her to its breast. Caroline ripped her hand from the flesh wall. Its rhythms were faster and the cow-like smell much stronger. Caroline whimpered. She was flung backwards and her fingers closed on the vegetable knife and she raised it. Even as the knife plunged forward, she knew it would skid or rebound from the plaster, probably slicing her. She knew all that, but could not help it. And then the knife thumped in up to the handle. It was like stabbing into, into meat. She jerked the knife away and free and scalding fluid ran down her arm. I've cut myself after all, that's blood. But she felt nothing and the room, the room was screaming. She couldn't hear. thrust again with the knife. The blade was slippery. The impact was the same, boneless meat. And the heated fluid this time splashed all over her. In the thick unlight, it looked black. She dabbed frantically at her arm, which had no wound, but in the wall, she stabbed again. She ran to another wall and stabbed and hacked at it. I'm dreaming, she thought. Christ, why can't I wake up? The screaming was growing dim, losing power. Stop it, she cried. The blade was so sticky now she had to use both hands to drive it home. There was something on the floor spreading that she slid on in her bare feet. She struck the wall with her fist, then with the knife. Oh, Christ, please die, she said. Like a butchered animal, the room shuddered, collapsed back upon itself, became silent and immobile. Caroline sat in a chair. She was going to be sick, but then the sickness faded. I'm sitting here in a pool of blood. She laughed and the tears started to run from her eyes, which was the last thing she remembered. Uh, I'm gonna have a hard time going to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, interesting. Uh, not a thing that you would imagine, right? The horror of, of stabbing a living room, so. <laughs> And obviously, if you read the story, there's a greater context there. You might get some of it from that excerpt. Yes. I did want to share that because um, I think that has to do, you know, very much. It's a beautiful example of weird fiction. Of, mm -hmm. uh, the dream world coming into contact with the real world. Yep. So these are things that have influenced me. And I uh, hope that you check out Tanith Lee and William Hope Hodgson and come on over to A Tale at Midnight and see what else we're doing. Absolutely. I am mesmerized. <laughs> and I am grateful that you were here today, Alicia. And thank you for being here. And just thank you for being. Mars, thank you so much for inviting me part of this. I really appreciate it. And uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of your episodes and hope you keep going with this endeavor. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll put our creativity out in the world, right? Absolutely. And we'll go to each other on. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So ladies and gentlemen, you can find A Tale at Midnight on YouTube. And the music, soundscapes, and post-production are done by Dan Precision at Bomb Shelter Recording Studio. And I'm going to include his um, 
his uh, websites at the on my Spotify page and also in my social media on Excellent. Uh, those pages. You can also and, find his music on Bandcamp. On Bandcamp, that's right. Damnprecision.bandcamp.com. Yes. Um, the original art and logo by Eugene Yavorsky. He also has a couple of, um, he has a Wix site. So mm-hmm. I will post that also on my uh, Spotify and my social media pages. And you can um, find him on Patreon as well. Yes. And um, follow A Tale at Midnight at www.instagram.com slash at A Tale, uh, I'm sorry, slash A Tale at Midnight, duh. Support A Tale at Midnight at www.patreon.com slash A Tale at Midnight. And finally, email a tale at midnight at a tale at midnight at gmail.com. Again, I'm going to list all of this info on my Spotify page and on my social media. So until next week, creep out of trouble, zomboys and ghouls. Alicia will be watching. <laughs> <laughs> Buena noche. <laughs>